Welcome to the Rise Up with Julie Baumgartner podcast. In this episode, we have a young man who literally abandoned the comforts of home, family, and friends to move to another country and work with youth and change a culture where sex and porn are the norm. We will hear about his struggles in getting there, what all was involved in moving to another country, learning a new language in record time, finding his true love, and together how he and his wife now hope to inspire cultural change in a country where early sex is encouraged and porn is common and accepted. Living in the Czech Republic, in Liberec, one hour away from Prague, Justin and Lucy Holden join the podcast today. Number 14, Inspiring Cultural Change, Sex, Porn, and Cultivating Leaders. Thank you for being here. Today we have with us Justin and Lucy Holden, and they are in the Czech Republic. But before Justin got to the Czech Republic, he was a, and still is, a United States citizen. How long was the duration from your move from the United States to the Czech Republic? Really, it took, it took quite a bit of time. The very first time I came over to the Czech Republic, I was here for two, for two weeks. And after that, I came much later. I came for three months. And after that, I was able to come with a long-term visa. And what all was involved? What were the requirements to move to the Czech Republic? Yeah. So the, the very first time I came for a, an extended duration, when I was here for three months, there, is, there was nothing that I needed to, to work on or, or any paperwork or anything like that. United States citizens are allowed to go to Europe. For us, it's anywhere in Europe, but there's a specific term called the Schengen region. And United States citizens are allowed to go into the Schengen region for a three month stay or 90 days is the actual amount of time. It took quite a bit of time to, to get everything in order and, and kind of figure it out, especially for, because once I knew that I was supposed to come here, I knew I was coming to, to stay for an extended period of time. So the very first time I came over, it was for two weeks. I was in England first for two weeks, and then I went to the Czech Republic for two weeks. And it was, it was an experience, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, and after that time, I, so that was in the spring of 2012. And then in the fall of 2012, I came for a three-month uh, 90 day visa free or within the visa waiver program. I came for an extended stay. And during that time, I worked with Stanislav Hart, who is now our pastor at, at our church. And we worked on all the things that I would need in order to have a, an extended visa for the only visa that I could get from the United States to the Czech Republic was a six month visa. And so we just needed to figure out which, which of the visas was going to be the best for me. And then once I came here, I was able to extend it to a longer period of time. What were the requirements? So there are a number of visas that you can choose from. They're the easiest visas to get are always family visas. So if you have someone who is a relative in the Czech Republic, or, or you have like a spouse or someone, that's the easiest way to go. I had neither of those. And the, so my next option would have been a student visa. And I really didn't want to go to university at a place where uh, the language was something totally different than what I spoke. So that was also out. And I came over on a business visa, which is really kind of funny because in coming over, I technically did not have a green card, so I technically could not work, but I could own a business in the Czech Republic and I could sell English language. So I was able to, I, I wasn't technically working. I was selling the language lessons that I was teaching. So that was, that was how I came over. How much did everything cost for you to get there? 
Ooh, altogether, I wish I knew how much exactly it costs. I had to fly to Chicago a few times because in applying for a visa, you have to go to the embassy of that country that is closest to your state as an American citizen. So at the time I was living in Nebraska and the closest Czech embassy was in Chicago. So I had to fly to Chicago a total, oh, I wanna say three times mm. I flew to Chicago. One was to have the initial interview, second was a callback, and then the third one was to actually receive my visa because when you receive the visa, they actually put it in your passport. So I had to go there with my passport so they could print it into the, into the passport. I had to also pay for insurance for my, for my stay. And you also have to show that you have uh, a certain amount of money in your account. And the amount that the Czech Republic required at that time was $5,000. And I think that's pretty standard. I've heard that when, whenever someone is immigrating to Australia, or maybe not even immigrating, but going to get a visa for Australia, they need to have like $5,000 as well. And it's usually Australian dollars, but yeah. So they, the Czech Republic required you to have a balance in your bank account and insurance or a way to have health insurance or? You have to buy insurance. The so there are a lot of different health insurance um, plans that you can get. Obviously, there are the health insurance plans for when you're traveling in a foreign country, and those are usually usually a little bit more expensive. You can what's what I would recommend for anyone who is wanting to move to another country or to go there and stay for an extended period of time is to buy insurance in that country specifically for foreigners. It will be a little bit more expensive than the normal insurance provided in that country, but it is specifically for foreigners. So there's a lot of, you know, certain, there's a lot of special cases and circumstances that those insurances will cover that normal insurance might not cover. And you have the added benefit that it's, in that country. So you, so when you go to a hospital or you go to a doctor, you're not going to be refused because it's not in contract. So as you arrived and had to set up a home in the Czech Republic, what were your priorities? How did you find housing? Did you get a driver's license? Did you get a car? What all was involved once yeah. the transition was complete? Yeah, the so the main thing that I needed to focus on first was finding a place to stay. Number one is to or was to find a flat, and I got uh, I ended up getting a sorry an apartment. I ended up getting an apartment with uh, a couple of guys from some. One was a guy from another church, and then the other roommate was I don't even know where he came from. He was this police officer that had this snake. And he also smoked pot. So it was <laughs> inexperience for sure. But that was priority number one. Now, you did not speak Czech at that time, correct? You only no, spoke I English? Did not. Okay. I spoke only English. And my roommates did not speak English. They knew very, very few phrases. The So a big part of Czech culture is beer. And so most of what my roommates knew in English had to do with beer. And I did not drink alcohol. And so it was very, it was very awkward. And, and that was literally the extent of the conversation was, hello, Justin, how are you? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> that was all that they knew how to say to me. And so that was, uh, that was very stressful. So priority number two for me was to find a Czech teacher or a Czech book or anything where I could start learning some of the phrases, everyday phrases and be able to just get around and buy groceries and things like that. Thankfully though, it, I am in Europe. So there are a lot of people that know English, even though most Czechs will say that they speak very little English and then they'll go on to tell you about quantum uh, mechanics and x-rays or whatever in perfect English, but, but they only know a little bit of English. <laughs> So, but I found an English or sorry, a Czech teacher and I, I went to our lessons in the library, library. We had them at the pub, public library and, and it was, it was quite fun as well. Mm -hmm. And in my free time, I spent, I spent every free moment listening to recordings of Czech conversation. I spent a lot of time in my grammar book, 
just trying to learn different phrases and, and how the grammar works. Czech grammar is, is very complicated. And yeah, I forced everyone around me to, to speak Czech as much as possible. Later, I worked on, I did get a car eventually, I, which was really, really funny because I have been driving since I was 15. I grew up in Nebraska. So we, we've been, I started driving on, on dirt roads back when I was 15. And I come to the Czech Republic where you have to be 18 years old before you get a driver's license. Is it 18? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be 18 years old before you get a driver's license. And at the time I was 23 or 24, possibly maybe, no, maybe 25. Yeah. I was 25 when I started going to driver school because in order to get a driving license in the uh, a driving license in the Czech Republic you have to go to driver school mm -hmm. and that was a really funny experience I could speak Czech a lot better at that time and the instructor actually took me to the the parking lot yeah it was like a parking <laughs> lot the the test drive uh place where it's like it's enclosed they have the signs and you drive basically in a circle you know um, that was kind of basic lessons she took me there and she started uh telling me everything about the car like the steering wheel the all cars here meant like you learn how to drive on a manual here you don't learn how to drive it on an um, automatic luckily i already knew how to drive a manual so she was teaching me about the 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 gear shift the clutch and everything like that how to turn on the lights, like really, really basic things. And, and I was trying to give her the sign that I already knew what I already knew how to do all of this. And when she started talking about the engine, it's like, oh yeah, that's like my, that was like my car back in the States. She was like, wait a second, you're American. And she was like, how, how long have you been driving? And I was like, I've been driving since I was 15 years old. She's like, let's get on, let's go on the road. We don't need to be here. So I was that was a very, and it was really funny because I would drive in my car to the place where I was supposed to have the driving lessons. Secretly. Secretly, yeah, she didn't know. Get out of my car, get into her car, and we would drive around and have our lesson for the, for the week. And so mm -hmm. it was really funny. You are fluent in Czech now. Let's back up. How old were you when you moved there? I want to say 22. And how old are you now? I am 31. So mm -hmm. nope, I was 23 when I moved here because it'll be eight years this year. Did it take you not to just be conversational in another language, but to, to be fluent in it? Hmm. So I'm going to maybe like blow some minds. Fluency is a really difficult thing to say, like this is the moment when someone is fluent in the language. It took me a year to become conversational, which for the Czech language, is amazing. Like that's that's an incredible feat. I started having dreams in Czech when I was maybe in year two. Yeah, for sure in year two. And I would say I was at a very high level and really, really surprising for a lot of people around year three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would probably be it. So maybe it would take, maybe it took me about three years to get up to a very fluent level. Now, one thing that I, that most Americans don't really know about is the European Union has actually created a kind of scale for language fluency, A0 being, you know, nothing in the language and C2 to being, you are an expert in some sort of field mm -hmm. in that language. Mm -hmm. So you have A0, A1, A2, B1, B2, C1, C2. And this, it's sad to say, but C2 tests for the Czech language do not exist. They exist for every other major language, French, German, Spanish, English, but in Czech, for Czech, they don't uh, have the C2 level. So I have taken a C1 level and I have passed that test. And I took that in 2019. Yeah, in 2019. So I've been at a very high level for a while, but that kind of breaking point between B1 and B2 level and then B2 to C1 takes a lot more time. And I would say, yeah, probably around year three was when I was able to be. Is, is that language test mandatory? 
it is mandatory if you want to get uh, permanent residence. Mm -hmm. No, okay. sorry, not permanent residence. If you want to get citizenship mm -hmm. for permanent residence, you only have to, for permanent res residence, there are different requirements for that, mm -hmm. but. But you also don't need it on the same level, right? No, Just no. B, B1, I think. B, B1 for permanent residence, I believe, if you mm -hmm. have to take it. And then C, sorry, B2 for citizenship. Now, when you came there, you had a secular job. You were teaching English. What age were you teaching? Yeah, so I was teaching, I was teaching after school for the first few months. I was teaching an after school club. And... I had kids as young as five years old who like their, their parents just wanted them to start having the basics of English to learn colors and important phrases and thing and counting. And so, so you did not speak Czech. They did not speak English. That had to be a little bit <laughs> interesting. The, the, what was really great was the place that I had found a, a job with essentially, even though it wasn't legally a job, I was able to teach them by immersion. So just being the English speaker, everything was said in English and it was, it was desired to speak as minimal Czech as possible so that the children would be forced to speak in English and to understand what's being said in English, which is actually a really great way to learn the, there's a big difference though if the kid is small and nervous and this giant American comes in, <laughs> or if the kid is roughly the same height and, and already has a little bit of a background, it, it makes a big difference. So the youngest kids I taught were, were about five years old. And I taught up to maybe, I think my oldest students were around 15 at the time. Now that you have been there several years, what are the biggest culture differences? Well, I already said that beer culture is a big thing here. That's that's a very big difference than to American culture anyways. But so Czech people are, they're very reserved, which can be really, really difficult. Uh, I work, also, I also worked in the church when I came immediately, but, but I made, <laughs> I paid my bills by, by teaching English. And being in a church setting is, is very different in the Czech Republic as well. And there's, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But whenever you speak to people, it's so different than, than when you speak on stage in America, because here in the Czech Republic, you speak and you're talking to just rows of stony faces <laughs> and there is no reaction whatsoever. There is no, there's no camaraderie. There's no energy feeding back and forth and everything like that. It's just very, very stoic and no expression. And it's, it's really difficult to, to deal with that sometimes. And bread is, there's a lot more breads to choose from. That's a big difference too. That's, That's that was something that was, that was, that is very important for me. I love bread. So I'm, I'm in heaven here. What, what kind of bread do they have? There's, you just have to experience it you go into you can go into a bakery and there's just like baskets upon baskets and baskets of breads and it's it's great mm -hmm. i mean it's like german it's what we would consider to be german breads mm -hmm. but it's it's really good yeah the way that people talk as well check the intonation in check mm -hmm. is in each sentence goes down at the end so in english we have a lot of inflection our voice goes up and down throughout the sentence and and it's fun and, and fluid and checks are not the same as just boom 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 and it can sound very it can sound very negative to an english speaking ear and if especially if you don't know the language the language is there's a lot more consonants and a lot of hard sounds so the language sounds very aggressive and to an english ear it can be overwhelming for sure and also there's a ton of words that sound like swear words in english but they're not, they're just everyday normal words. The, the real swear words sound totally different, but. Well, we're going to go from swear words to you actually coming over. Your purpose was you wanted to work with youth. 
Yes. And I know that you worked with youth for a, a local church there, but you were supporting yourself by working a job because there's a difference between how they operate and how the U.S. operates like a church in the U.S. would pay their staff. You were not paid, so you were working to pay your bills and trying to do some fundraising and, and raise donations to, to help you f- further your work with the youth. So what all did working with the youth involve, and why do you think it was so important for you to work with youth there as opposed to the U.S.? So for me, Ever since I was a child, I have felt God's call in my life to, to be in missions and to be a missionary. I, I was born in Spain, actually, so I always thought that I would go back to Spain, but God has kind of a funny way of doing things totally different to how we would expect them to be done. But so, yeah, I, I kind of with this calling, growing up with this calling in, in the back of my mind, I made a lot of my life decisions based on that. I was, I grew up in, in Nebraska and I decided to go to master's commission in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And master's commission is just like a Bible school, kind of a, a ministry training program. And I, sp- I picked this specific program because I read in the brochure that there were supposed to be missions trips that were, that the students would take each year. And I was excited to be able to get my feet, kind of get, get my feet wet a little bit by, by getting the training first off through this program and then going out into the missions field and, and getting that personal experience. And that was also kind of a, a wild ride because again, God does things totally different and actually didn't end up ever going on a missions trip within that program. And it wasn't until after the program that I, I was able to come to the Czech Republic. But so for me, when I came to the, to the Czech Republic and I was able to experience the youth and the culture here, it was really important for me to come here because you, so the Czech Republic is culturally atheistic. It is the second or third, third most atheistic country in the world behind China and Japan, which is astounding because it's in the center of Europe. A lot of people maybe associate the Czech Republic with Eastern Europe. It's actually in the center, but it's, and it's really kind of fascinating, especially given the history of the Czech Republic. It has a very strong, it has a very strong, not only Catholic, but also Protestant Christian history and and tradition. And so to to see that change, how they've gone from being such a devote and and Christian country to being a very atheistic country, it's it's kind of it's intense. I mean, you can see like you can see the the leftovers of that tradition everywhere, but no one lives in that in that sort of way. So when you take this context and, and you and you see in the country that there are so few churches that churches usually max out at around like 50 people. A big church is what's considered a big church is a church of 100 people. We have just over 100 people in our church and we're considered a very large church, which is fascinating to me because in the United States, that's not how it is at all. How were you perceived when you came over there? I always relate it to the, the dancing monkey. <laughs> I was the American. I spoke English and I was loud and more emotional than everyone else. And which is kind of funny because I don't feel like I'm that emotional, but I, yeah, I was invited to a lot of things just because I was the attraction. <laughs> and so, and it was great. It works. So, Hey, you know, do what so, you got to do, right? <laughs> so how were your beliefs received? I mean, so, were, were, were you the, the, not only the dancing monkey, but the, the weird, the weird dancing monkey because of yes. your beliefs? Yes, I was in, in certain cases, it was, it was really beneficial to the church. And, and later on also uh, there were, there were many, or there were many, there are two really big youth 
programs that I got involved in from the beginning at the national level as well. One is called Christfest. It's a summer festival. And then the other one is called, it's now called Encounter, and that's a fall conference. So at these sort of things, it was really beneficial to, to have an American and also someone who is, you know, understanding Czech more and more and more come to these kinds of things because I could have conversations with people that they might not have with somebody else because they, the kids often feel like they can, you know, if they're saying it in English, they kind of feel like there's this anonymity to what is being said. So they're, they're more free to share kind of things that are going on inside of them. In other situations though, like for, for instance, with my, with my English job, it was kind of difficult sometimes people would ask me some of the strangest questions just because they found out that I was a Christian. Like if one, usually the first question they ask is what are my beliefs on evolution? Because uh, naturally with me being a Christian, obviously I don't believe in evolution. So I must be crazy. And as Czechs say, five years behind the monkeys and basically like from Stone Age. And that's just kind of how, how conservative views are are seen here in the Czech Republic. And so I would get asked this question so often and I would always respond, I wasn't there. <laughs> and I would just kind of leave it at that because, because you know, you don't want to throw your pearls to the pigs and, mm -hmm. and it's easier to get to the heart of the matter rather, rather than to argue over, mm. over details that aren't as important on this, on this side of fraternity is essentially. So yeah. Another one too was also how, what my views are on, on sex, because you know, in atheistic culture, sex is actually quite promoted here. A lot of parents are excited when their child brings home their first boyfriend or girlfriend and they're staying the night and it's like a celebrated thing. Parents will provide condoms and birth control and everything for their children to... Go to, at it. Yeah. <laughs> at what age? The legal age is 15. So I think it's preferred that it's around 15 and later. <laughs> and most and Czech girls go and have birth control by the age of 15. So they're ready. So is it celebrated to be promiscuous or is it celebrated because the intention is that marriage would follow from that? So being promis promiscuous isn't necessarily... This was also a huge culture shock for me. So being promiscuous isn't necessarily like what's being celebrated. The, the mentality is, is that sex is a good thing. Sex is an enjoyable thing. And it helps the person learn how to have a relationship. So it's not necessarily promiscuity, but it's, it's the growing and developing as a person and becoming an adult, mm -hmm. which is understandable. I still think it's way too early, but, but one thing that is, that was really kind of a culture shock to me though, is that it is kind of normal in a sense and, and not, well, you see so many Czech movies who, where there is like the family, there's the mother, the father and the children. And very typically the father will have an affair and they'll have like a lover on the side or something like that. And that's actually a normal part of Czech culture. It's kind of expected for men to not necessarily sleep around, but to, to take a lover. And that's, I hate that. My parents got divorced when I was young. And so, and it was for similar things. And, and so that is something that was a massive culture shock to me. But yeah, sex is just viewed very differently here. So you have sex, then you build a relationship as opposed to have a relationship and then have sex. Yeah. And husbands think that they have the freedom to express themselves outside of marriage. Well, it's considered normal in a way. Because men have yeah. needs. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And also the, it's, I'd say it's not as much education, more that you have to try out everything there is yeah. so you can pick the right person. That's another argument that I've heard when well, my classmates were but, asking. But if they've people. married someone, haven't they picked? Exactly. So 
Okay. <laughs> so if that is contrary to your beliefs, what kind of conversations do you have about that? With sex, I talk to them about, like, I'm pretty open about the fact that Lucy and I waited before we, we waited until we got married to, to start having sex and, and how important that was for, for the both of us. That was something that I had decided when I was 12 years old, I think, and that, that I wanted to wait until I was married. And I'm very open about the fact that it is a difficult thing to, to do, but how satisfying that relationship is because you can completely trust that person mm. and you have this you know i mean not every situation is perfect obviously but but you know if if the two kind of go into that that whole thing together then you can you know you have time to learn and time to laugh and and it becomes something that that really cements your relationship together when you are going around and, and sleeping around with people before before marriage you really lose a big foundation to to that relationship and so and so that's what that's what i typically talk about and and it's all it's also a really good way for for me to talk about god and just how he loves us perfectly and, and with a with a pure love and you know, we are the only ones for him. And so he's, that's, that's how God looks at us. And so that's realistically, like we can kind of replay this sort of love in our, in our marriage, because of the fact that I have eyes only for Lucy and, and I hope it's the same way. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, for me, it was, there was a point in I, th I think it was already in high school when I was the only girl who haven't had sex yet. And like the, the classmates asked me why, because they said, you're pretty, you could have so many boys. And like, you know, and when I said, I'm actually waiting for marriage, they first laughed, but more later on, they saw I was still waiting. And they saw that I was able to give my husband something they couldn't have. And when they've learned that I actually found someone who is intended to do the same thing that and, and that we are waiting for each other, they actually admired that and loved it. And they thought it was so beautiful, mm -hmm. but it's so not normal in this culture. <laughs> so uh, I was always exotic and always had that pressure on me that I like even from my family because not all of my family believes they would ask me like but what if it doesn't work for you guys and like all these questions yeah so so Justin how long were you there before you became engaged before you met Lucy how long was your engagement our engagement was from August of 2016, and we got married in May of 2017, so nine months, yeah. So, Justin, if you were speaking to young guys, what is your advice and tips to young men during that period? What should they be doing? What should they be looking for? How should they be conducting themselves? It's your life what? in order. Yeah, to just be clear about what you about what you want from life, because I mean, you can figure stuff out later for sure. But when you have a clear vision for where your life's going and what your life's purpose is, then it makes things so much easier. And and it is better for your relationship too. I think I think I have been because the the man should, like, obviously it's, it's a relationship, it's a partnership. And so there's give and take, but the man should definitely have a vision and be able to lead the family. Mm -hmm. And if a guy doesn't have vision and, and then he's really not going to be able to lead his family that way. And, and that is a big, that, that is a very big deal in our relationship. I, I know there've been a lot of times where Lucy has looked to me for direction or or not in like a sort of thing where she needs me to control her but you know there even if it's a, a partnership 
there's never a 100% or sorry, there's never a partnership that's exactly 50, 50. Mm -hmm. It's usually 51, 49. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I've definitely felt those times where she's looked to me to make mm -hmm. that, that 1% adjustment to, to where we're going as a couple. And I mean, I, I always ask her what her opinions are or, or how she feels. And, and I, and I definitely take that into consideration, but yeah, there's always got to be that person who makes those, those decisions. And so, yeah. yeah, if you don't have your things in order or you don't have vision for your life, then you're going to have a time in, <laughs> in your marriage. Yeah. Also another really big thing. So that's the first thing is having your things in order. And the second thing is learn to communicate because as guys, we typically, well, at least this is my issue. And it's an issue with a lot of other guys that I've met in my life. It doesn't matter where they're at, what kind of background they have or anything. Guys are usually not the greatest about communicating their internal world. And it makes a huge difference when a guy is able to say what he is thinking or, or how he's processing things. And over-communication is always better than under-communication. Lucy, same question to you. What would you say to young women before marriage? Before marriage. I definitely say focus on God and lean. And lean on God. Um, or lean to. Lean into. Lean into, sorry. I'm going to interject here and let our listeners understand that Lucy speaks very fluent English, but her native language is Czech. So we're going to give her a little bit of grace here as, as she discusses. <laughs> Sometimes we think that to have the right flowers or to have the right <laughs> setup on the wedding is the most important thing. To the ladies, I would say have a clear vision of who you are and what you want and what you don't want, even before you enter marriage, because it's important to be able to voice what you need and what you want. And if you have such an amazing husband as I do, he's going to listen and then he's going to take the, take the direction. It also takes him, makes him take the responsibility. That's important to say that 51%, it's actually a really responsible thing to have on your shoulders. And <laughs> I'm really grateful you're carrying that 1% sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, I would really, I would definitely say Make sure you don't lose yourself and who you are in that process, but also Le learn how to be for him and with him, mm -hmm. supporting him. So now you're married, Justin, what is your marriage tip for young men? Number one marriage tip, take about a 10 second pause before you fly off the handle. My main emotion is I'm happy or main emotions, happy, angry, or tired. And angry and tired are very similar, but the, yeah, sometimes, I mean, you're living with another human. There's so many, it's not, it's never going to be perfect. And it's never going to be this, every romantic idea you've ever had in your mind, just throw it out the window. It doesn't even matter. Just <laughs> there's, and like morning breath is a real thing. Being married is a mess. And there's going to be so many times that you just miss each other completely in communication. There was a time that we came, we were traveling very shortly <laughs> after we got, uh, very shortly after we got married, we mm -hmm. were traveling to, well, we had our summer festival for a week and a half. And then we had, and then we went to the States and then we were there for about a month. And then we were also with some of our friends in England for another week before coming home. So all together we were, away from home for a long time. And we were living in hotels or very small spaces and just always together. And sometimes it's really good for a couple to just have a little bit of time where they're apart. <laughs> and I am definitely one of those people where I need that. I need my personal space sometimes. And I did not have that at all. And there were some things where as an American, I'm trying to communicate you know, in kind of a subtle way, like hinting at something that I would like to have happen. And Lucy was not getting it because <laughs> Czech is subtle with different things than Americans are. Americans are subtle about 
kind of how we make people feel and things like that. Czechs are not subtle about those things. Czechs are very blunt, but they're subtle about other things that are kind of ridiculous in my opinion. But so I was like subtly trying to send these messages and signals and everything. Lucy totally missed it. And it ended up being one of the worst fights and it was over nothing, but it was one of the worst fights um, of our entire relationship at that time. And again, it was only, it was very shortly after we had been married. So we were, I think we're maybe at month, maximum month six of, of being married. And I was, I was like, I'm done. We're done. We're getting divorced tomorrow. <laughs> so I have learned since then we didn't get divorced. So I have learned since then that it is so important to just when you're just angry, just to pause and just consider the fact that maybe you're not communicating well enough, or maybe that signal or whatever you're trying to say is not getting through. There are so many different ways to resolve conflict. Again, over communication is the best, but, but trying to speak in mm -hmm. com complete thoughts and concrete thoughts, it, it makes life so much easier. I know that you both work together. But Lucy, you also have something specifically that you are doing. You are providing a safe place for girls and young women who are addicted to porn to come and get help and you listen. And how did that come about? And is, is it helping? I, it was one of the Christfests of the, the summer conference that we are helping with. And because I went through the struggle myself and I also had to overcome that in my life, I started naturally whenever I was counseling a girl and she shared that I was able to say, hey, I know how that feels, but you can overcome it. Here is how, here is what you should do, shouldn't do. This is how it works. But also like walk her through how it started and why is she doing it? So I was already doing it a little bit and then anytime there was any seminar or any talk about this topic, I would usually go there just because I wanted to be better. I wanted to understand it better so I could help more people and or, or help better if, if to help or, or go along someone on that journey. And on one of those Christmases, there was my boss now, he's not really boss, but the coordinator of Neporno.cz, which is a website that offers counseling. It's not counseling, it's more of coaching through emails to people who are either addicted to pornography, but also to partners of those who are addicted, which is also a big struggle sometimes. And he spoke about the project and, and about how pornography works and some of the statistics. And I went to him afterwards. I was like, hey, I might be interested in doing this as well. And he said, that's amazing because I really need women on my team. I have just two guys now and I really need someone for the girls because it's really weird for me to do it. And so I was the first girl coach on the team. And as for now, we have almost 40 coaches. And just this first quarter of year, we had more contacts than throughout the whole last year. So it's growing exponentially. And now with COVID, it, of course, people are home alone. And this is growing a lot, all the numbers. And... Yeah, well, so, also, there was a, a YouTuber that yes. had uh, come and had come across this website and he actually mentioned it mm -hmm. on his channel. And from that moment, they actually had a yeah. lot more contacts. Yeah. And stuff. We also had an exposure on this online TV. They do interviews and they did one with Pete as well. So more and more people notice us and that means more and more people contact us and you ask if it helps I would say yes because I had a lot of girls who were able to share their shame the the struggle and I was able to provide them some of the information that's necessary to overcome it because you need to be educated you need to understand what and who you're fighting and how to win 
but I was also able to cheer them on and help them get up when they fell. And so I do have clients who have been victorious and they have overcome they have overcome it. Of course, it's never ending struggle because once you fell in it, it's almost like any other addiction. Of course, it's different than alcoholism, but we often say that it's like, if you are an alcoholic, even though you are clean and you don't drink anymore, you cannot go to pubs. You have to be very careful not to drink again, because if you do, you can easily go back. So of course, it's a struggle in mind and it's a battle that you have to keep winning but there's the process of cleansing yourself of it and uh, reprogramming your mind so i i would say it helps but it really depends on the person on the other side first of all they would have to recognize in themselves that they have an issue or a problem with it yes. <clears throat> and then they could approach you what it what is the website? How would they get a hold of you? It's called Neporno CZ, which is no, no to porn. No to porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, they, if they need help, they fill in this contact sheet and it comes as an email to our coordinator and then she distributes us to the coaches. So, Lucy, I, I want to come back and just so that our listeners understand you coach on a team and you all coach both women who have an issue an addiction to porn but also women whose partners or spouses are addicted to porn too so give an example of what that first conversation would look like from your end to someone who was struggling with this addiction well if very much depends on the email that we get. But majority of the time, I somehow introduce myself, even though we try to be as anonymous as possible. I still try to introduce myself. And then my first emails are usually a lot of questions. Because in order, excuse me, in order to help someone, you have to understand what they're going through what the struggle has been and how exactly to go about them going out of it because sometimes it can be really just changing your environment and your habits and the understanding of the whole process sometimes it's a deeper issue sometimes it's connected with another mental struggles so I usually ask a lot of follow-up questions and encourage that other person to share and explain what they're going through. And it is completely anonymous. It is. It can be anonymous on the client side. They sometimes create weird email addresses that are like different from their normal ones. Like a throwaway account. So <laughs> it's, and I even have some nicknames that I've made for my clients and I ask them if I can like call them that mm-hmm. and they know me uh, by my first name so they know me as Lucy but they don't know anything else about me unless I want to share more and they do this because they're embarrassed or there's shame attached to it or definitely or, I've, or... Had, I've had a Christian woman she will she could have been my mom or at least a sister of my mom she was in that age and she was struggling with something and she was so embarrassed the first time when she wrote us that she said I'm actually hiding and I'm locked up in my bedroom right now because this is something that's eating me up but I also feel like I cannot share it with my family because I feel like it's an it's an awful failure on my part and we were able to come to that or she realized throughout the process that she actually wants to share it with her husband. And once she did, uh, a lot of things changed. But yes, they are sometimes embarrassed for themselves. And then there are the partners of those who are addicted and they sometimes want to hide it away from the partner because they are not sure how to help them. And they are not sure if that partner would be comfortable with them talking to someone else. Do you, are your 
so-called clients or who you coach, is that strictly in Europe or is that worldwide? Right now it's in Czech. So we have mostly Czechs and some Slovaks because Czech and Slovak are so similar that we can actually communicate with almost no issues. It might grow in one day. We already have communications with some of the German, with some Germans and also some Polacks, but Polish, sorry, <laughs> I always make that wrong. But right now we feel like the need in the Czech Republic is so big. We've talked about it. The Czech Republic has very different view on sex. Well, sex. That, that's where I'm thinking because I'm like, okay, it's like a mixed signal in that culture. One, mm -hmm start at a young age and become this hypersexual person and then okay now in a few years now you're going to struggle with mm -hmm. an an addiction so they're yeah. sending mixed signals mm -hmm. god bless god bless the youth there mm -hmm. one thing that i personally have had experience with here i have as as i said before been an English teacher and there was basically when our our kids became third graders there were a lot of boys that started one of the boys was exposed exposed to pornography somehow and through that or because of that he exposed a lot of the other boys to porn mm -hmm. uh, to pornography as well and so it just kind of spread like a virus mm -hmm. and it was a very very strange thing for me because it was nobody cared it was just like a normal thing and mm. the biggest thing that they were concerned about was making sure that the kids understand what sexually transmitted diseases are not that this is pornography this is inappropriate the boys should not be looking at this it was oh we, well they already know about pornography now and they, they know about sex so we need to make sure that they understand what an sti is as well mm. it was just like it's it's one of my because I even wrote a thesis about this and how exposure at such a young age can be very damaging to, to the children or to teens. And I think there's a mixture of a lot of things. One of them is that it, this has always been big taboo in our society because during the communist regime that has been here, had been here, you cannot talk about sex, you cannot talk about porn. It's just all one big taboo. But at the same time, because it was prohibited, it was also done a lot. So there was actually pop, there was actually like two or three years during the 80s when we had more uh, abortions than births mm -hmm. within the whole country, which is awful. And so I feel like this culture and this leftover is mixing with the fact that a lot of the parents do not understand how well children can actually use the technology today and how difficult, how dam damaging and dangerous it can be for them. And there are groups of people in the society that start to point out to the fact that hey, be careful, educate your child, make sure they understand that the internet is actually a really dangerous place if you don't know how to operate there. How to and, navigate it. Mm -hmm. And more and more people actually start to talk about that pornography is actually something that can be harmful and that can, have, that can bring issues, but it doesn't help that world organization haven't categorized pornography addiction as an addiction. And that in my own country, in Czech culture, people do not see it as something harmful, but something that everybody does. It's normal and it's okay. But of course, it brings a lot of danger. So both of you work with youth. Do you still teach English, Justin? I have just a couple of lessons that I do every now and again, but for the majority, no, I have like three lessons that I teach English and I actually teach Czech to foreigners now. Nice. Lucy, quickly give us your educational background. You just received, is it a master's degree? Yes, I received master's degree this last fall in it's English and civics focused on pedagogy. And so I'm a trained teacher now. And she also graduated with honors. 
Yes. So she's the smart cookie. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so <laughs> you have joined an organization that's called Josiah Ventures. Tell us about that and what is your work now doing? What all is involved in that? Just for some clarification, Lucy still teaches, mm-hmm. but she will be joining Josiah Venture probably in January of 2022. So within Josiah Venture though, the main role that I am fulfilling is I am coaching youth leaders in our region. And that's something that I, I'm really excited about because I have some good relationships with, with different youth leaders already in this area because of my work at the national level and being able to speak into their lives more and to give them the materials that they need or helping them to, to have the support that they need to be a better leader. Like I said before, the Czech Republic is incredibly atheistic. Less than 1% of the population is evangelical. And that is just something that we really want to change. We want people to have a personal and and a real real relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And so our goal as, uh, within Josiah Venture, kind of the goal is to come alongside churches and provide that support so that they can, these leaders can get the training they need and the help and have, you know, that person to lean on when they're going through things and, and they don't know who to turn to. There's a lot of times where the youth leader doesn't have the support of the, of their home church, or maybe there, there isn't like that kind of like good relationship between the pastor and the youth leader that the youth leader can get this help from, from their local pastors. So, so we're trying to kind of fill that need currently. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I also am able to focus more on the national level and work on Chris Fest a lot more. I I'm in the, the core team for Chris Fest. I create the program and I decide who the speakers are going to be and everything that's going to happen. And I love it because I just have a ton of control. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's really a huge blessing because I, I feel that this is exactly where God wants me to be. And, and I'm really excited that I can influence the, the youth at a national level like this. It's, it's, it's an exciting process. What is your hope for the youth there? My hope is for the youth just to see that being a Christian doesn't mean that they are a wackadoodle. It's one of my favorite English words. <laughs> I never get to use it, but just for, for people to see that being a Christian doesn't mean that we are, you know, strange people or backwards or uneducated or anything like that. There are so many Christians that, that are able to give like such great examples to, to the youth and, and just for them to see that there really is hope there, there is the majority of youth kind of have this romantic dream that they're going to go to university. And then after the, after university, they can run away to the West. They can go to Germany or to England or to the the United States. And I would really love if we could help this, this generation to see that they don't need to run away to have a good life, but that God has a good life for them here. And the negativity or the old mentality that, you know, there's a lot of things that have affected the Czech Republic and and affected the Czech mentality. And I would just love it if, if we could kind of change that sort of culture and and mentality for this generation so that as they become adults, how it can just be a more positive experience Mm -hmm. for, for everybody. Why would they not, why would they not want to stay there? It's easier to run away from our problems. That I also think, I don't think it's majority of them, but there's always this percentage of students who want to go just because some of the Western European countries are richer. And so there are more job opportunities or it's more interesting and more money. So of course you also have to pay more to be there and live there, but yeah. And I think it's 
it's normal for every country that there is a percentage of people who leave, but for some of the experts and the, the best of the best, they leave because they don't have enough concurrence or enough resources here. So they go somewhere where the resources are. And yeah, my hope for the youth in the Czech Republic is for them to know God and to see God transform their lives and then for them to transform the society and the culture and the mentality. I hear that term used all the time and I I wish we could clarify it. Knowing Christ transforms your life. So outside of that's going to change your eternity, how would it change a youth life on a daily basis? How is it transformational on a daily basis? So that's kind of something that I touched on a little bit in saying that in talking about hope, I fully agree with what Lucy said. I think she said it in a, she said what I'm thinking just a little bit more clear, clear way than probably what I, what I did, but I struggled with depression when I was in high school and actually even before high school, when I was in middle school, my my parents had gotten divorced and my dad, my step, my dad married my stepmom and it was just really hard for me. And I took it, I took it really rough. And there was a lot of just things that I needed to work through and a lot of just negative experiences. And I dealt with like, I dealt with a really, a, a lot of really negative self-talk. I was dealing with depression thoughts of suicide and everything like that. And it wasn't until later that I like, and I was, I was a believer and I had really, I had really made my, I guess like like the Christian term would be rededicated, but I, I just came to know God in a, in a deeper way when I was about 15 years old. And then with time, he was working on just dismantling a lot of the things that I had believed about myself and, and about what people thought of me and, and a lot of things. And I really experienced that, that hope, that, that peace, that just caring, I guess, like that I, I didn't have growing up and, and not to say that like my parents were totally cold and uncaring, but, but it was just, it was just not what I needed. And, and with time, I, I really found that, that identity and that hope and that peace in, in, in Jesus and, and it totally changed my life. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would really love if the, if the youth would just really understand that making Jesus the Lord of your life means that you let him have the final say. Mm-hmm. And it really brings out the best in your life. Like there, there are so many things that we think we have a good idea, but God has such a better idea. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, yeah, that's what, that's what it means to me, I guess. When you ask in a gym here, when you have, when you gather students from the whole school and you ask them who here has ever thought of committing suicide, 95% of hands rise up which i mean your podcast is rise up but this is the bad rise up and go up yes and so the kids here really struggle because if you do not have god and if you live in the culture and the the system that there is you don't have much hope and for a lot of them they go through either living in a broken and toxic family or living through the parents' divorce or all these heartbreaking things. And I have even seen now with Corona how, and the, the whole pandemic situation and, and my kids, like my students have been in lockdown since September, basically. They had three week break before the Christmas, but then the rest of the time, they're home and they're isolated and so many of them already had to visit or we have at least five percent who somehow have to be 
uh, visiting psychiatrists and in so I guess in a way it really makes difference to be a Christian in the Czech Republic because so many things are so different uh, for a person who believes in God and I believe that in general what God does is that he brings love into your life and understanding what love means and he helps you to love yourself and to accept and be your, yourself mm-hmm. I believe he breaks lies and brings the truth and with that he brings freedom and I believe he helps you through the change that you experience in your heart treat others differently mm-hmm. and bring change into their lives well it is obvious that you both are living your purpose and fulfilling a purpose all at the same time so thank you for your time and thank you for being here yeah thanks for having us thank you so much you've been listening to rise up with julie baumgartner thank you for listening today rise up and let's be the best that we can be and listen to this podcast that will both motivate and educate thank you 